held up in all my years of sorcery, no god or devil, no demon or lich or shadow which I could not control fascination or dismiss at will. It is fairly known by few. But and the thing was a streaming ooze of charnel pollution, a foulness beyond the black leprosies of hell, and I could bear it no more. A red-taking horse and rider, he caught them with one hand, dreaming of conquest and of vaster necromancies. They grew sad and slothfully priests and women, it is told, me picked up as they fled, and pulled limb from limb as a child might quarter an insect. The double shadow. Clark I thank you, friend, but I'm no drinker of wine, not even if it be the rarest canary or the oldest amontillado. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and more than others I have reason to know the truth that was writ by Solomon the Jewish king. Give ear, if you will and I shall tell you a story such as would halt the half-drained cup on the lips of the hardiest biver. We were seven-and-thirty buccaneers who raked the Spanish main under Barnaby Dwale, he that was called Red Barnaby for the spilling of blood that attended him everywhere. Our ship, the Black Falcon, could outfly and outstrike all the craft that flew the Jolly Roger. Full often, Captain Dwale was wont to seek a remote isle on the eastward verge of the West Indies and lighten the vessel on its weight of ingots and doubloons. Welcome to Pirate Talk, the Clark Ashton Smith podcast. <laughs> this be Pirates with Clark Ashton Smith. I'm Tim. Oh, I'm Phil. R. I be Ruth. And this week we're covering a vintage from Atlantis. As you can tell, it's a little it's a little different from the rest of the Poseidonist stories and needless to say the Averon stories that we've handled so far. I'm I'm just wondering if we should all get our pirate voices out of the way right now so that we're not tempted <laughs> to do them all the way through the episode. Because I can hear it, I can feel it, this tension in me that I'm just going to want to keep saying it. So let's just do it. Who wants to go first? Okay. But let's say the, um, I mean, it'll be later on in the reading, but let's say uh, by the communion cup of Satan in our best. <laughs> really? Because that's a hard thing. That I would say that more in my necromancer voice. Uh, who's going first? Ruth? No, somebody else. Okay. By the communion cup of Satan. Arr, by the communion cup of Satan. <laughs> wow, you guys did two really good takes on that. By the communion cup of Satan. <laughs> it's my crone pirate. I love the crone pirate. So yeah, this isn't, obviously, this is not a fantasy story. It's not. A little bit. From okay. just the intro. You know, no. we're we're on a pirate ship. This is a little jaunty pirate tale. <laughs> it's a pirate tale against the sin o drinking, which incidentally, unlike Lovecraft, Smith drank, as far as I can tell. So the story originally appeared in the September 1933 issue of Weird Tales, alongside stories including Robert E. Howard, Hugh B. Cave, and a man named Hung Long Tom. <laughs> now, in a normal wait, ep- wait, wait, in- wait, say that name again. Hung Long Tom. Okay. Now, in a normal episode, I'd be making jokes about Hugh B. Cave because right. it sounds like a, it sounds like a like a Austin Powers joke or something. But here we have Hung Long Tom, and I I just don't even know what to say about it. Well, he was an actual name of Frank Owen. Why did he use that name? 
he used Richard Kent, which is a respectable yeah. pseudonym, and he used Hung Long Tom. Was he writing like quote unquote Oriental stories? I should see what else what the story was. Let's see, this was published in what was it, thirty three? Yeah. So in thirty three we have the ox cart a story. So it could be uh, it was a in this in weird this, tales. In this episode in this issue it was a poem called Rain. Weird. So that that doesn't sound particularly no. <laughs> uh, later on he had one called the Nanking Road as Hung Long. Uh, okay, so he's probably just trying to sell it. The Yellow River. Oh God, this <laughs> racism. What could possibly no. be racist about Hung Long Tom? <laughs> He's just a man who has a name. And we think it's funny because penises, but it's just a name, you know? Do you think he uh, named himself that because of the innuendo? I would really like to talk to him and find out. That's it. But Shut this podcast uh, down. We're at the- least Nard Jones was kind of his real name. Oh, I want Nard Jones and Hung Long Tom miss- to duel at dawn. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Moving on from Hung Long Tom, which incidentally would be a good pirate name. Hung Long Tom would be a fantastic pirate name. I'm not going to contest that I, part. If I hadn't made a rule that no more pirate voice for me, I would do it right, right now. So we're on the Black Falcon, the, the most dangerous ship on the seven seas. I have to say, I want to criticize Clark Ashton Smith for his characterization of the Black Falcon right. as like the absolute best pirate ship OMG ever. It doesn't need to be. Smith, pull it back. It can just, <laughs> it can, it doesn't have to be like the pirate ship. It can be a pretty good pirate ship that does a pretty good job. I'm sorry, but Red Barnaby would not be sailing on just any pirate ship. It's true. He is like famous and spills lots of blood. It just feels like he's over, he's overselling me. It's like that for those first lines of his Zetarak, it's like just pull it back, rein it in, and I'll be there with you. I'll go there with you. Just. Or maybe this is why it has to be the pirate ship, because they're prolific. They're always pirating, and they've got a lot of stuff that they get, mm-hmm. and they need to store this stuff somewhere. Of course, you can't always store it on your pirate ship. you got to find a deserted island. To... They're pirates, not dummies. Of course <laughs> no, they have to stay. It's like in Skyrim where you build a house to store your stuff. Right. So they have, they have an island that nobody knows about that they go and they drop their stuff off. They hide it there. Is there um, ever uh do they do they name this island? They don't, do they? No. No, I don't think so. And once again, I have to say, like, this is a number of stories that we've read in a row. Well, I guess the Svanamoe isn't, but the last one was where we have an explicit narrator. Like they like yes. they begin conversationally. Uh-huh. He even has a name, right? He does. His name is Stephen Magbane. Stephen Magbane, the one Puritan among yes. that Christless crew. What is a Puritan doing on a pirate ship? <laughs> Who knows? I ask Maybe you. he's Red okay. Barnaby's biographer. <laughs> it's it's a weird setup really? but yeah he's our he's our narrator. everything about this story is weird <laughs> but that just makes it fun one day they go to the island and uh there's a hurricane unfortunately they're they're doing their business but they spot some stuff that's washed up including this barnacle laden thing which turns out to be a great glass jar and it seems to have something in it something that swishes part. and this thing is so big it comes up to chest height so they have to get, like, a few people to roll it up on the shore. By the communion cup of Satan, Red Barnaby swore, if this thing is not an antique wine jar, then I am a bedlamite. Such vessels, though mayhap they were not so huge, were employed by the Romans to store the goodly vintages of Falernus and Kekuba. 
Indeed, there is today a Spanish wine, that of Valdepeñas, which is kept in earthen jars. But this, if I mistake not, is neither from Spain nor old in Rome. It is ancient enough by its look to have come from that long sunken isle, the Atlantis whereof Plato speaks. Truly, there should be a rare vintage within, a wine that was mellowed in the youth of the world before the founding of Rome and Athens, and which, perchance, has gathered a fire and strength with the centuries. Ho, my rascal sea bullies, we sail not from this harbor till the jar is broached, and if the liquor within be sound and potable, we shall make holiday this evening on the sands. Be light as a funeral urn. Full of plaguy cinders and ashes, said the mate, Roger Aglon, who had a gloomy turn of thought. Good Red, Red Barnaby, I mean, aside from his nickname, which I think may just be like Red Wine Barnaby, like, <laughs> he's like, we're going to party tonight whether you pirates like it or not crack this thing open and we are getting trashed like the earth was young again (laughs) and and he's so well versed in wine exactly this is why i think that he's not that fierce he's mostly just a drunk so barnaby mandates party he's like okay dudes party and they try to start opening this jar but it's encased in seaweed and barnacles and he just, he hacks at it with his sword, which I just think is, like, he hops on the jar and just starts swinging his sword trying to get to this yeah. wine. He's got to cut through the barnacles. It's been there for <laughs> centuries, maybe. I just, I don't want to drink whatever is inside this really crusty thing. It's sealed really well. Yeah, he we gets all that. the barnacles off, and then there's a wax seal around whatever the lid is on. But the wax is hardened, so he, even his sword can't can't break it off. So what does he do? Smashes it. He it's smashes like it's like it. it's like the Gordian knot. He's just yeah. like screw <laughs> right. this. Yep. <laughs> he smashes it at the neck and takes the whole top off. And I think even the narrator mentions how good the wine actually smells. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody's sniffing greedily at it, and he smells the heathen spices, heavy and strange, and the very inhalation thereof caused me to feel a sort of giddiness. Oh, Puritan boy. Just you wait. <laughs> I, I love this story. It's so weird. I know, it's really good. <laughs> so, they all smell it, but Red Barnaby, again, because he knows wine like nobody else, is yeah. like, that's <laughs> not, that's royal wine. The best stuff we could possibly find. <laughs> Arr, it's a royal vintage. Let's get blitzed. Avast, you slum gullions. <laughs> Wait, what's the full slum gullions quote? He says, He says, Avast, you slum gullions. Stow the water casks on board and summon all hands ashore, <laughs> leaving only a watch there to ward the vessel. We'll have a gala night before we sack any more Spaniards. And then they all <laughs> yell, Yay! He's so Except horny for, for a party. It's yes. crazy. <laughs> Maybe he knows that once he gets them drunk. Oh, I shouldn't. Yeah, not yet. What is a slumgullion, and how can I become one? I don't one? know. I don't know. We could just um, say you are one. It's a kind of watery meat stew. I what? was not, in fact, mistaken. I I I don't know because yeah, I'd heard it as it's like a thing that you get in an inn. That's really so, gross. Imagine <laughs> eating slumgullion for dinner. I want to be one. So, uh, what? There's. It's just Red Barnaby. I mean, he's no oigos. And he's no yeah. necromancer, but he is a fairly enjoyable and peculiar Clark Ashton Smith character. Because yeah. he's just like, he just strikes me as a drunken dick. 
Like, he's like, everybody party except you three dudes. <laughs> Damn shit. And he makes one of our heroes, yeah, and or our, rather and our hero, yeah. who doesn't drink, come to the party instead of letting him stay on this trip. Poor Steven's yeah. like, I'll stay on the boat. I don't need to party. I'm not going to drink. But no, just because he doesn't drink, Red Barnaby forces him to be at the party. Ex- it says expressly commanded his yep. presence. <laughs> Although he does get the fresh tortoise meat, which he, he thinks does. is a fair trade-off. He likes the, he likes the fresh tortoise meat. <laughs> They have, like, a beach party, and they hunt up tortoises and tortoise eggs and, like, cook it all up. It's like beach blanket bingo night. <laughs> but with with 37, or rather, 34 pirates. Yep. And a Christian Puritan. <laughs> yes. But the weird thing is, once they start getting drinking and you're expecting it to get wilder, it actually calms down. And everybody gets really quiet. And that's kind of creepy. Yeah. Yeah, even Red then- Barnaby, who started drinking right when they opened it just sat there and then they start muttering and then they start gibbering and they're staring out into the sea and the stars go dark that was a really creepy part where they're all standing there quietly just staring out at the sea how does it make you feel tim it's really creepy because the whole beginning of the story (laughs) is kind of farcical and over the Mm -hmm. top and then all of a sudden there's like this quiet that comes over it and you just picture maybe steven was he was writing in his little diary just trying to ignore the boisterousness that's going around and then he notices that there is no boisterousness and everybody's just quietly drinking and then just standing by the shore looking out at the black sea gives me a proper shudder and steven tries to move away he's a little freaked out by all of this Instead of letting him move away, they try to force him to drink some of the wine as well, which is also weird. Because apparently they've been okay with just like, teasing him up until now on, on every occasion. I fought against them, doubly unwilling to quaff that nameless vintage, and much of it was spilled. The stuff was sweet as liquid honey to the taste, but burned like hellfire in my throat. The air around me seemed to brighten with a redness of ghostly blood that was everywhere. Mad and unholy was the vision I saw, for the harbor waves no longer lapped on the sand, and the sea had vanished. The black falcon was gone, and where the reefs had been, great marble walls ascended, flushed as if with the ruby of lost sunsets. Above them were haughty domes of heathen temples and spires of pagan palaces and beneath were mighty streets and causeys where people passed in a never-ending throng. I thought that I gazed upon some immemorial city such as had flourished in Earth's prime, and I saw the trees of its terraced gardens fairer than the palms of Eden. Listening, I heard the sound of dulcimers that were sweet as the moaning of women and the cry of horns that told forgotten glorious things and the wild, sweet singing of people who passed to some hidden sacred festival within the walls. One building there was, a high fane above the rest, from which the light streamed in a muddier flood, and from its open portals music came, sorcerous and beguiling as the far voices of bygone years. The weird music seemed to call me and entice me, and I longed to tread upon the streets of the alien city, and a deep desire was upon me to mingle with its people and pass into the glowing fane.
Do you think that description of Atlantis fits the Atlantis presented to us in the past three stories? Well, we're in Poseidonus, which is like leftovers of Atlantis. Right, but I mean, it, it, Poseidonus is still part considered part of Atlantis. So do you think that in the writing of this story, Smith is actually referring to his conception of Atlantis? Or do you think that this, act, this story actually stands outside of that version and it's just, oh, here's another thing? I don't know. I think we never really get, a, I mean, the the best so far, the best picture we get of straight life in Poseidonus slash Atlantis is when in Voyage to Savannah Moe where they're lifting off and they're watching the mm-hmm. people party. And that kind of fits with, with what he's describing yeah. here. But other than and that... And I think that Atlantis somehow is grander. Yeah, right. And this seems pretty grand. What do you disagree, Philip? No, I don't disagree at all. I, I, I guess I just asked the question because it, I really have no way of answering it, yeah. which I guess is kind of interesting too. All these stories, we put them together because they all reference Poseidonus or Atlantis right. or whatever, but aside from like the Malagris stuff, like they just all feel so different. Yeah, um, they do. That it's kind of cool. It makes me wonder if it's even wrong to call this part of the that group of stories. I don't think it is, but it's like it's worth asking the question, I guess. Right. I also think that this is like if you wanted to pick the thing that Clark Ashton Smith is always all about. This is another example of it. And it's the like past. the past, but like, let's call it the, the lure the of, past. Well, the lure of fantasy as, as dangerous. Cause I think the, the, mm. the real emblematic version of this exact situation is it, in city of singing flame. Yeah. Where it's just like mm-hmm. exact that's situation what I thought of again, but it's not like, that's not the past. That's just like some other weird yeah. plane of existence. It's not coded as past or future or anything. It's just some other place. He sees this vision they all see this vision, and then a road appears that leads down into this vision, and then all of the sailors start walking towards it. And he feels like he should, but he doesn't, probably because he's only had a taste of the wine. Just enough to see it, and just enough to feel it. There's this moment where he says, as he as he feels the pull into this tower, he says, all this which the wine had remembered through its sleep in the ocean depths was mine to behold and conceive for a moment. I just think it's interesting that he more or less personifies the wine. The wine yeah. itself has a memory mm-hmm. that by drinking it has somehow inhabited his own mind. It's just, it's like a time capsule wine. Yeah, it remembers where it came from. And it wants everybody to go to there. Yeah. Not sure why. Maybe not the best idea, but I also wonder what would have happened if this had happened on land, like in Kansas. Right, <laughs> right. Would they have still just seen it and wandered off into the cornfields? Pirates of the corn. (laughs) Well, it was that I had drunk less of that evil and pagan vintage than the others, and was less besotted than they with its luring vision. For even as Captain Dwale and his crew went toward the city, it appeared to me that the rosy glow began to fade a little. The walls took on a wavering thinness, and the domes grew insubstantial. The rose departed, the light was pale as a phosphor of the tomb, and the people went to and fro like phantoms, with a thin crying of ghostly horns and a ghostly singing. Dimly above the sunken causey, the harbor waves returned, and Red Barnaby and his men walked down beneath them. Slowly the waters darkened above the fading spires and walls, and the midnight blackened upon the sea, and the city was lost like the vanished bubbles of wine. A terror came upon me, Knowing the fate of those others, I fled swiftly, stumbling in darkness toward the palmy hill that crowned the isle. No vestige remained of the rosy light, and the sky was filled with returning stars. And looking oceanward as I climbed the hill, I saw a lantern that burned on the black falcon in the harbor. 
and discern the embers of our fire that smoldered on the sands. Then praying with a fearful fervor, I waited for dawn. He doesn't go back to the ship. No, he runs. He goes up the hill, and I wonder if he still feels that pull. Yeah. If he doesn't trust himself, and so he tries to get as far away from the water as you can on a tiny island. Do you guys think that the pirates were actually transported to this world, or they just went under the sea and drowned? I think they died. I think they went under the sea I think sea they and died, drowned. too. We're all voting for death here. I mean, I guess there's no way of knowing, but... Yeah. Um, and I can't even think of how to make the case for them all dying, except that right. that's just how I think it it went. <laughs> a terror came upon me, knowing the fate of those others. I think he would be freaked out if they went to Atlantis, but curious. Whereas here, he's like, I have to keep myself from dying by walking into the water. I think it is pretty clear that they went under the waves and died, but I, I think there's just a slight ambiguity about it. I'm going to give it 98.5% that they died. Um, I'm going to give it 98.1%. I had something else that I was going to say about something that I can't remember what it was. Well, I uh, I noticed in a letter from Smith that he had said that he'd sold the story to Wright, but only after the third rewrite of the ending. <laughs> Which made me think, how did he end it the first few, two times? Was it just like the manner and style? What, did he cut it down? What did he change? Yeah, was and, it more explicit course, or less explicit? Uh, Phil and I, of course, didn't see the the drafts of that one when oh. we were yeah. looking at drafts because they weren't in the uh, in the Lovecraft archive. That would be a f- fantastic set of drafts to look yeah. at. And I didn't see any more info on like people giving him feedback. And of course, that was probably redacted out of the selected letter. So it may be in a letter out there somewhere. How weird is it that we read a pirate story? That's all I kept thinking about while reading this. Is that it's just like it's, I mean. It's, it's an okay Clark Ashton Smith story, but I think it is notable because it's a pirate story. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. what? Why is this a pirate story? I don't understand. Well, we had our magic story about mm-hmm. the about regret. And we had our science we story. We had our science story about the hubris of humanity. We just had our, uh, our second magic story, I guess, and now our pirate story. What's next, cowboys? <laughs> Oh man, I wish that Clark Ashton Smith had done a cowboy story. That would be amazing. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Next time, we're going to have to cope with the death of Malagris. Uh, I'm going to recast it as a cowboy story. <gasps> he dies in a shootout. It's possible that at some point, maybe like he tried to do it, uh, a, a Robert E. Howard like cowboy style story. Who knows? Well, there is one about a dead rattlesnake. That's kind of cowboyish. Yeah. Tim, when we party with Red Barnaby next time, mm-hmm, yeah. uh, <laughs> I want to be one of the guys left back on the ship. <laughs> okay. One of you want to watch? I just want to watch. <laughs> I want to be gloomy Roger Aglon or whatever his name is. But what do you think that they thought that they saw? Our guy tasted a little of the wine, so he saw what he saw. They They probably just saw the entire crew walk into the ocean. How freaky is that? Yeah. And our guy might be able to tell them. Stephen might come back to the ship and say, guys, that wine was freaky. Let's wrap it up. Tim, wrap it up. So. Wrap it up like a mummy. Yarr. I say you wrap it up like Oigos. Uh, Oigos would just be like. Imagine Red Barnaby and Oigos partying under the sea. Oh, vast, yes, slum mummy. 
<laughs> you better start drinking. <laughs> and Oigo says, Whoa. And he looks at his burned hands. Aww. Yeah, right? And he starts it's drinking. <laughs> it's super sad. Okay, so this was a Vintage from Atlantis by Clark Ashton Smith. Next time, we'll be reading the last story in the Poseidonus setting, entitled The Death of Malagrease. I do really get a kick out of Red Barnaby, the party pirate. I think yeah. it's, it's pretty uh-huh. This story is, it should be like taught in dare classes because it's really all about how peer pressure <laughs> will get you sucked under the waves of addiction. Wow, that's, that's deep. That's very though. true. I think we just cracked the code for this one. Did we just solve Atlantis again? I think we did. I'm very proud of you guys. Two episodes in a row, we solved Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs>